Hey, everybody. Welcome to All Have Another Podcast with Lindsay Hine. I'm your host, Lindsay. Thank you so much for being here today. Congratulations, everybody who ran the Boston Marathon. What a fun weekend. Every year, Boston just never disappoints. And thank you so much for everybody who came out to the live show in Boston and those who were cheering along the course and who gave me motivating and encouraging words on my Instagram. And just this community is wonderful. So thank you guys for the support. And congratulations to everybody else who ran. Uh, Guys, today on the podcast, I'm talking with my friend, Kim Clark. She is coming to Indianapolis in just a couple weeks for the 500 Festival Mini Marathon. I'm really excited to hang out with her then, but she is a marathon runner. She is a world traveler, like legit world traveler. She's been to 57 countries. So she has been to a lot of places and she's taken her marathon time. You guys, she ran her first marathon, totally untrained, young, young decisions. You guys, we do young, we do crazy things when we're young. Um, but at the just before she graduated high school, she ran her first marathon in a time of six hours and eight minutes. And since then, her first marathon she trained for, she ran a 4.01 and has taken that time down to a 3.11. We are marathon PR twins. Recently, though, uh, what I love about Kim's story is she was taking her marathon time down pretty significantly there for a while. And then she kind of got into a little bit of a rut. And what she did was she took some time off the marathon, focused on shorter distances and really honed in on those skills before approaching the marathon again. Uh, and that's when she took her marathon time down to 311. She also has a super speedy husband. Her husband has a marathon PR of 218. So no big deal. He's self-coached as well. I love her outlook though on believing in yourself and believing in your dreams and having faith that you can do hard things. She was really fun to talk to. And I truly, I can't wait to hang out with Kim in just a couple weeks at the Indy Mini Marathon. Speaking of that, if you're local to Indy or you're looking to travel and do something fun, come run this race with us. It is Saturday, May 4th. It is a very flat, fast course, the One America 500 Festival Mini Marathon. I do it every year. It was my first half marathon and we are going to have an after party after the race. So we're doing a shakeout run on Friday, a meetup at the expo, and then after the race at Athletic Annex in partnership with Michelob Ultra, we are going to be doing a after party. So I can't wait to meet so many people there and just enjoy the weekend. May in Indianapolis is truly the best month of the year here. It's so much fun. So you guys can save a whopping $7. I know, I know. It's a crazy deal, guys. You can save $7, though, off your entry fee if you use the code ANOTHER19. So if you haven't signed up for the race yet, use that code ANOTHER19 to save $7. Go to IndieMini.com slash register to do that. And let me know if you will be here, if you're local or if you're traveling. All right, you guys. I hope you feel inspired and motivated by Kim's story. She's super fun. You're going to love her. Enjoy this conversation. All right. Well, today on the show, we have Kimberly Clark. Welcome to the show, Kim. Hi, how are you doing? Good. Thanks so much for doing this. Of course. I'm super excited to uh, to chat with you today. What's going on in sunny California? Oh, not much. It's a gorgeous day today. It's been such a weird winter for us. Um, we've had like the most rainfall like of like the last day probably. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Yeah. It's cool because I guess it's the first time that we've been out of drought in a really long time. So all of our like mountains look like Irish countryside. <laughs> 
Oh my gosh. So you grew up in San Diego. Do you still actually live in San Diego? I do. I, I left for like 10 years and I came back and um, it, like it drew me back. You know, I, I grew up hearing that San Diego has the best weather and I was like, it rains a couple times a year. Like you don't get it. This is not good weather. And then you go to actually bad weather and you appreciate what you had. Where did you go for 10 years? I went to Oklahoma for college okay, and then um, Washington, D.C. for law school and a little time after. Okay. Oh, wow. Yeah. I feel like San Diego is just one of those places where people are like, yeah, in your dreams, like you don't really live. Nobody really lives there, but it's totally. tons of people do. Um, I've been a few times. Oh, awesome. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's literally an endurance athlete's dream place to like work out. I mean, you can have great workouts outside all year long. It just makes it I can't imagine. A, you know, a lot more fun. <laughs> I literally, I just, I cannot imagine. I'm sure. Um, all right. So I want to hear about your story. You, what do you do professionally though? First of all, if you guys aren't following Kim on Instagram, she has this like massive Instagram following it's track club, babe. What, yes. but what do you do professionally? Um, I am a commercial real estate broker. Um, so I, sell buildings and I lease buildings. So, um, just everything commercial though. So, um, nothing, nothing residential. And, um, it was a, a career change, but I've been doing it for about seven years now and I really love it. It's a, it's a great job. Yeah. But tell me about that because you went to law school. So what, how'd you transition to doing that for your a career? Totally. Well, I, so I went to law school. I basically had, you know, spent, the majority of my life following one trajectory so that I could um, basically practice in human rights law. And um, I came out during the worst imaginable time for a lawyer. Um, in 2010, I graduated law school and um, there were just not a lot of jobs in the human rights field um, because everything in the for-profit sector was completely, I mean, just it was awful, and so the nonprofit sector, which is like funded by, um, you know, the government and um, different entities, they weren't getting the funding that they needed to be able to hire new lawyers. So um, I, I came, I came back to San Diego, which is a small, smaller niche uh, law market, and um, I just, you know, I was looking for a job for a while, and. I actually had my real estate license since I was 18. Oh my gosh. I got it. Yeah. It, my parents were like, you should get it <laughs> right, <laughs> right after I finished high school. So it was kind of a requirement um, that they, they asked me to do. So I, um, I got my real estate license at 18. And then um, my dad had asked me when I moved back to San Diego to join him as, a, as his partner um, in commercial real estate. And I was like, no way. I've... <laughs> I've, you know, gone to college and law school so that I could be a human rights attorney. I'm like dead set on it. And um, then, you know, I, after probably like six months or so, I had a more open mind and I said, I'll give it a try. If I hate it, I'll stop in a couple months. And then um, right after I said I would start working with him I and started working with him, three weeks later, this one organization that I'd been in contact with and pursuing for like, I don't know, a year or two, finally got back to me and said that they were ready to send me out to Africa um, for like a human rights job. And I was just like, you know, if it was meant to be, it would have happened while I had been actively pursuing it. And so I, I stayed the course and I've um, been doing it uh, ever since. Okay. Tell everybody what 
like that's a pretty young age to be interested in doing the human rights lawyer thing. Like what made you interested in that from the get go? Yeah. Um, you know, I've, I mean, I love people. I love, um, I've just always been really interested in humanitarian work and I've, um, you know, as soon as I could travel or go on missions trips, I basically did. And so, um, it was just always something that really, um, like inspired me. And, um, when I was in college, I was able to go on different humanitarian trips during my time there. I think I went on like five or six trips. So it's, it was exciting. And I just felt like the work was extremely gratifying and it's, you know, it's really cool when you can see that you're making a difference in somebody's life. So, um, yeah, I, I mean, I was so motivated, um, to go to school for this type of work and, um, you know, so I, it was really hard to let go of that career path, but, um, if it wasn't happening, I just had to be flexible. That's, that's what I felt like I needed to do in that moment. Yeah. Like you have to start making some money. You have to have a job. Yeah, you have to live. You yeah. have, to eat. <laughs> um, have you read the book, Just Mercy? I haven't. Who is it by? It's Brian Stevenson. Okay. And he's, I guess you would call him a human, human rights lawyer, but he, he is a lawyer for inmates on death row and it's so, it's like what I, I don't want to, I don't know if I can say it's the best book I've ever read, but it is one of the best books I've ever read. And he, he, um, you know, he serves as a defense lawyer for people that are falsely accused, some not falsely accused, I'm sure. Um, but yeah, it kind of like goes through his story and it has a couple of specific cases that he works with and it just really like humanizes the, um, prison and the incarceration and all that. Wow. So you, you should read it if you're into human rights lawyer oh, stuff. Oh, totally. Yeah, no, I definitely will read it. I mean, it's, it's just, you know, in my time pursuing that you get to see so many different situations where there are people that need an advocate on their behalf. And it's just, um, it just is so motivating to pursue that type of career because you see all the injustices that are happening and you just want to help them, you know? Okay. So you've been to 57 countries. Yes. <laughs> okay. I was thinking about them. Like, how does one accomplish that? But you're 34, right? Yes. Okay. And you don't have any kids. No. So I'm helped. like, yeah, I'm like, okay, I can see how you could do a lot of traveling in that amount of time if you're 34 and you don't have children yet. So, totally. or maybe you don't want children, whatever. But no, I do want children eventually. Oh. Just it has not yet. Okay. Uh, I'm like, oh, Lindsay, stick your foot in your mouth. You can't assume no, those things. No, totally fine. I know. <laughs> That's like one of the hardest, weirdest things to talk about. Um, totally. But. Yeah. So where did this passion come from? Do your parents travel a lot? That's a lot of countries. Totally. Um, no, my parents, well, now they travel a little bit more, but like I had only been to Mexico before I was 17, I think. Okay. So, and then I just have always loved, um, like traveling and, um, well, just the idea of it, I guess, because I, I loved the thought of it before I was ever able to actually do it. And so then when I was in college, I studied abroad three times um, and then went on a lot of different um, humanitarian trips. So that um, that helped the number to grow for sure. Do you do well? Like, I see, I like the idea of traveling, but I, I don't do well once I travel. Like I get there and I'm like, <laughs> I just I don't I just don't do well. Yeah, I'm like very good at being flexible and flying by the seat of my pants. Um, 
So I think that that's, you have to have a, a good sense of humor to be able to travel, especially to a lot of um, like underdeveloped countries because like you can't plan it ahead of time in a lot of places. Yeah. It doesn't go according to plan. Like there, I have like so many insane stories because I mean, it just, things get crazy, you know? And so you have to really um, just have a good sense of humor um, because, you know, it, yeah, there's always a lot of unpredictable stuff that happens and you want to have fun, you know, so you have to be pretty go with the flow. Um, and that's, yeah, I, I love that part about traveling and I'm not a huge planner. So I usually just book a ticket and I'm like, I'll figure it out once I'm there. <laughs> oh man, that would make a type A person just go crazy. I'm the same way though. I'm like, we'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. I was like really proud of myself for, um, finding din- dinner reservations in Boston, like the night before we were going to dinner. That's how much. Oh my gosh. <laughs> just one That's night amazing. Before. Yeah. So, all right. You said you had a lot of crazy stories. What's, what's one of the craziest things and in what country did you experience it? Oh gosh. Um, I'm trying to think like one was extremely dumb. I was very young though. I think I was like 18 when this happened, but this is like one of the dumbest things that has happened to me. Um, I was on an overnight train, um, heading to Venice and, um, I was with my friend and we were in a sleeper car. And, um, so you, you take the overnight train, it, it gets there into Venice and they tell you like, get off the train, you know, if this is your destination. So, um, I was telling my friend, like, we just woke up. I'm like, we have to go. And she's like, I mean, washing her face, trying to put makeup on. I'm like, these trains stop for like two or three minutes max. And then they take off and then they don't stop for another like four hours. Oh, like gosh. you have to go. And she was just taking forever. And I'm like, Kate, I'm, I'm like going towards the door. We have to leave. So I start, you know, heading towards the door. I mean, to the, the exit. And as I am, the train starts moving out of the station and I'm like panicking. So I just like run towards the door. The The doors have now completely closed. So now you have to manually open it. Uh-huh. So I manually opened it. I kicked it open. And <laughs> I mean, the train's like legit moving out of the station. And um, I, I grab my suitcase and I just throw it. And it like bounces off of the side of the train, hits like the platform bounces back in between like the train and the platform. So I thought that it like the train was going to eat it up. Like it was going to go <laughs> underneath the train. And this is like also all of my clothes for a full semester and like everything I have for a whole semester. And I'm at the beginning, like this is before the semester has started. Um, so I was just like, Oh my gosh. So my, my bag finally landed on the platform and then I, had a backpack on and I had a purse in my arm and I just jumped. Oh and I, when I jumped, I like threw my arms back. So my purse was not with me when I came to. So I'm, I landed on the platform but my backpack was so like thick and big that I got whiplash, but my head never like slammed onto the cement. Um, but I was laying on the, like the train platform like on my back, eyes closed. And my friend came to the door at that moment and saw me and thought I was dead. And the train conductor saw me jump off of the train. It was probably going like 30 miles per hour at this point because it was almost out of the station. And he ran back to our train car, grabbed my friend and like bear hugged her and pulled her back from the door. It was like, do not jump. She's like, I'm not going to. And um, so I came to... In Venice, it's like 7 a.m. because it was an overnight 
trained car. I have all these people con- totally concerned around me. They're like, why did you jump? And I'm like, I don't know. It was like, I just got just completely flustered. And I realized that my purse was gone and my purse had my credit card, my passport, um, like my train card, like it had everything. I had no money. I had nothing. I had, and this is like before cell phones. This was like oh, yeah. 2004 or something like that. And, or maybe it was like around 2004. So I was just like, you've done it this time. Like you have, like, this is bad. And my friend was gone. I didn't have any identification, no way of contacting anyone. Um, so I was like, all you have to do now is just wait and hope she comes back for you. <laughs> and she and had I, to go four hours out still. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So I waited there like all day and my friend was, she finally came back and she was asking everybody, did the girl die? Was a girl taken to the hospital here? So she finally saw me. It was like the best reunion ever. Um, and I was lucky because when I jumped, I like let my arms go so that my bag fell back into the train. My, my purse did. And so she had my purse with everything. Oh, so she had I was, your purse. Yes. I thought it was like eaten up by the train. I looked everywhere, like on the tracks and it wasn't there, but somehow it fell back into the train and she grabbed it in time. So yeah, that was like the dumbest thing I've ever done. <laughs> and I, I told my dad about it, but I've literally not told my mom about it to this day because <laughs> it's so traumatic. Don't let her listen to this podcast. I know it's, she will like, she would die. It's just too much. So yeah, that's what you do when you're very young and you're traveling alone. You just do really dumb things. Most of the dumbest things we've ever done were done when we were 18, probably. I'm sure. <laughs> right? it's, it's not a recipe for like great decision-making. Um, and I'm just thankful that I didn't like break anything or like that it didn't turn out much worse. I was really, really grateful. I'm like, I'm never doing that again. <laughs> I like that's, a, that's really adventurous for 18. I never would have been doing something like that at 18 by myself. I guess you're with Kate, but yeah, not for that whole day. No, I know. And she was just like, what have you done? Like, she was like, I would never jump off of the train. And I'm like, I don't know what came over me. I just thought I have to be in Venice right now. <laughs> I think I'd have been like, Kate, wash your face later. Right. <laughs> I mean, I tried. I really tried. I was like, <laughs> you have to go. Like you, I mean, we'd been traveling around for a couple of weeks at this point. So she knew that these trains don't like yeah. stop long. I mean, they stop for a couple minutes max when they're like on these like schedules. So it was to funny. Be ready. Oh yeah. my gosh. That's a good story. <laughs> yeah. I'm just happy. I'm okay. <laughs> yeah. You're alive. Like, uh, exactly. 10, what? 15 years later. Seriously. I'm like, I hope my kids have like a little bit more common sense if I let them travel that young because yeah I'm just thankful I, I you know everything has turned out okay and I'm like at the ripe old age of 34 now yeah okay so let's talk about your running your first marathon okay. uh 608 yes but you weren't like you didn't really run or train for it at all but you know I was thinking about that when I saw that I was like you know you can it's not wise but like when you're young really young Yes, you, you can like throw. I mean, you might get injured, but you know, if I threw my body into that now, it'd be like, oh, I'd have like twelve stress fractures. Oh, totally. <laughs> it'd be like death. <laughs> yeah, but tell everybody about that first marathon, and then like kind of your progression into where you are now. Yeah, so I basically just started running that year. I my dad had run marathons um, as a thirteen year old, and. Um, like his fastest was, I think, 307. So I've yet to beat it. But um, on your way, though, on my way. Um, but yeah, so he had done like three marathons at 13. And I was just 
always inspired by that growing up and just thought there has to be something innate in me that's like good at running because my dad was. Um, so I decided to do cross country and track that year, my senior year of high school. And um, I was no prodigy and just suffered through the whole year with, uh, with shin splints and a, a stress fracture in my shins and wouldn't give up because I thought that that's what runners do, you know, um, very martyr-like uh, mentality towards running. And um, so track season ended and I got my much needed rest for my shins. So I didn't run at all once it ended because my shins were, I was just like holding it together the whole season, which I don't even know why. It wasn't like I was running well. I was just running for the, for the sake of, you know, being a part of the team. But I, I finished um, the season and I didn't run even a mile for that full month after. And then I had talked to a friend and told him when I'm in college, I'm going to, run a marathon and he was like there's no way you could run a marathon like it's 26 miles there's just no way and I was like well I'm definitely going to do it so there, there is a way <laughs> now that you and told then, me I can't exactly I'm like now I'm like extra motivated and it just so happened that that happened um the same week as the San Diego rock and roll marathon okay tell me what year you ran this though because this that was, was my first marathon oh it was yes that's amazing. Um, it was 2002. What year did you run it? Oh, okay. No, later, 2008. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's, I mean, it's a great marathon. San Diego's yeah. best. Carry on. Um, so um, I heard about it and that's, you know, before online anything. Mm -hmm. So I went to the expo the day before, signed up and um, I got a friend to sign up with me. And so I got, <laughs> I crowded somebody else into this really bad idea. Um, <laughs> Who also wasn't and, training. Exactly. And she was like, should we do like a run today? I'm like, it's not going to help us at this point. Like we just need to go in fresh. Oh <laughs> you're 18. Are you 18? At this I'm time? 17. So you're still in high school or you're just graduating. Uh, no, yeah. It's the, like the week before graduation. Cause it happens like June 2nd. So I think my, that was like the week of graduation. Okay. Okay. So yeah. Um, so yeah, so we just went out and did it and totally unprepared. I wore two pairs of cotton socks in small shoes because I thought like I need to have like extra absorption. <laughs> and it's like, it was a very hot marathon that year. And my feet, I mean like covered in blisters by like mile 12, I had to ditch one of my pair of socks. And then by mile 17, I couldn't run anymore. My, my knees wouldn't bend. Um, so yeah, that's the hazards of running completely untrained. So I, um, yeah, I just had to, walk to every med station, have them massage my legs for a little bit to see if I could get them to bend again and just keep suffering towards the finish line. Oh my gosh. So, I mean, if you did 608, you probably had to, you probably walked a significant amount, I assume. I assume. I mean, I was running, I, I ran until 17 and that was the longest okay. I'd ever run. God, that's so far. If that's like coming yeah. off of nothing. Exactly. It was, yeah, the longest I'd ever run up until that point, because I think like maybe about 12 or 13 was what we did in like cross country for training. Okay. Um, so 17, I was like, wow, <laughs> I'm doing great. And then until my knees wouldn't bend and that's like very crucial for running evidently. Did you finish with the friend that you conned into it? No, luckily she didn't fare as poorly. I don't know what her time was because I really didn't care about times back then, but right. she did finish ahead of me. So yeah. Um, yeah. And we were, ultra hydrated because of her because she was really concerned that we would get dehydrated so she had like a full glass of water and a full um, um cup of Gatorade every single mile mm. so we 
had to stop for restrooms like three times before <laughs> mile 17. It was absurd. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. So you go off to college, you travel abroad a lot. You yeah. aren't running much at like once you get out of college, when do you run your first, like when do you decide to train for your first marathon, like truly run one and, you know, actually train for it? Totally. So I didn't, I basically completely like didn't run or exercise really from then till I came back to San Diego. So I came back to San Diego in 2012 and. Okay. That's like um, 10 years. Yeah, exactly. Wow. So I was like non-active. Okay. Just like living life. Just. Yeah. Okay. You know, when I lived in DC, I walked around the city. I like preferred walking to using the Metro, but, um, I weren't going to like gym classes or anything like that. No. 100% no. (laughs) No. And I was really busy in law school and, you know, it probably would have been a great um, thing if I had like had an exercise, an exercise routine or just ran because it would have really helped to relieve some stress that I had during law school. But, um, you know, I didn't even see that as an avenue for release back then. So I didn't, yeah, I was completely non-active. And I came back to San Diego in 2012 and my cousin had randomly picked up running and, um, she was running the LA marathon and training with the, um, LA roadrunners. And so I was like, so inspired. I saw her over Thanksgiving and I was like, okay, I'm going to find a team in San Diego and I'm going to sign up for LA. And then I'm also going to sign up for rock and roll San Diego to do it on the 10 year anniversary of my first marathon ever. And so I, I mean, literally all in one Thanksgiving day, I signed up for the San Diego track club, signed up for LA marathon and signed up for, um, rock and roll San Diego. Okay. And so what did, like, what did that training look like and what did you run it in? What was your time? So uh, I think LA, so I started basically training like in December, I started trying to run because for San Diego track club, they say you have to be able to run 20 minutes all at once. And that was not possible. Okay. Um, but l- wait, let me ask about that though. Sure. I think that's weird that there's a running club that like makes you have to be able to run a certain <laughs> amount to join. Cause I just feel like that seems very exclusive. I think they're just like, if you can't run 20 minutes, like maybe this isn't the right time for you to be training for a marathon. Oh, okay. So they're saying this is like for their marathon program, but a a big component of like what they do is the marathon training. Got it. Okay. That makes sense. So they were like, in order for you to begin training for a marathon, you have to be able to run for 20 minutes. So I was definitely going from like couch marathon, um, in three months, which was, um, very, I mean, I'm, it was just good that I didn't know what I was doing because now looking back, I'm like, what were you doing? So aggressive. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I mean, for my first, so I started basically training in January. Um, cause now I could run 20 minutes at a time. It was incredible. (laughs) You you built up to the 20 minutes. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So then, um, I had my first marathon, then it was in March. It was LA, um, marathon. And I remember just like, like the training program I had been looking at with the track club was supposed to go until June. And so, you know, all of the long runs, all of those were catered towards a June marathon and I was doing one earlier. So I went up to the coach of the track club and I'm like, you know, like, what should I be doing to get ready for this, you know, <laughs> marathon in March? And so 
he told me like, get up to a 17 miler. And I'm like, okay. And I'm like telling everybody I'm totally being coached right now. Like his advice was just like telling me the distance I should hit. And I thought that I basically was being trained by a coach. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, so I got my 17 miler and then I went out to, um, LA to do the race. And, um, I, I was going with the 345 group. Um, and then I was feeling really great in the beginning. So I'm like, I'm just gonna like pass them and let them catch up to me. And then, um, just because like the group was like so congested. So it was, it was easier to kind of be a little bit in front of them than to be like jostling around in the mix. So Mm -hmm. I was in front of them and I was like, you know, at least when they pass me, I'll know. And if they haven't passed me, then I'm still, you know, in like 345 land, which I don't even know why I picked that number. It was super random, (laughs) super aggressive. Yeah. And then they ended up passing me, but I never saw them. And I only know that they did because like in the finish line shoot, I saw the, the number for 345. So they obviously had to have passed me at some point of the course, but yeah. So I ran a 401 for my first one. Oh, that's so good. Yeah. Well, I mean, probably by the time they passed you, they were just like spread out, you know, this I guess group, so. I, they start I was so big. For the guy. <laughs> oh, the actual, the specific, yes. guy. maybe he wasn't holding up his thing anymore. He'd like put it down or something. He must've, he really failed me. <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, I wonder what the magic number 17 was. I wonder if that coach was just like this, like kind of doing the math on how much time you had left based on what your longest run was and was like, this is what you have time to safely get in. Get that Yeah. In. I think he's like, you're at 20 minutes of running right now. And it's like the end of January. It's like two weeks so away. <laughs> if we get to 17 miles, I think we're good. Oh, man. Okay. I would also just like to note really quickly yeah. that um, my first real training marathon was nine minutes faster than my husband's first uh, marathon. Okay. And we have to talk about that, too, because your husband's like, a, is, am I right? He's a 218 marathoner? Yes. That's, that's insane. I know, and he started at 410, so it's even more insane. Hey, everybody, a quick break to thank a sponsor for this episode, and that is FabFitFun. FabFitFun is a seasonal subscription box with full-size beauty, fitness, fashion, and lifestyle products. It retails for $49.99, but always has a value of over $200. That's a lot. You guys can use the coupon code ANOTHER for $10 off your first box at FabFitFun.com. Getting your FabFitFun box in the mail feels like your birthday four times a year. It's always exciting to get mail, right? So when I got my first box, I opened it up and there were like 14 different things. I don't know how many really, but there were a lot of different fun items in the box. And I just wanted to open everything right away. It's like Christmas, guys. I even got some new eye cream. I also got a new eyeshadow palette in my box that I would never choose to just buy on my own. So it was super fun to get it. Each season's box features a variety of amazing quality brands like Tarte, Kate Somerville, Anthropology, Free People, Dr. Brandt, and that's just the beginning. So don't miss out because they sell out fast. You all can go to fabfitfun.com and use the code ANOTHER so you can save $10 off your first box, making it only $39.99. Again, that's fabfitfun.com and use the code ANOTHER. You deserve to treat yourself. All right, friends, enjoy the rest of my conversation with Kim Clark. Okay, so your first real marathon, yeah, because we're not going to count the six at weight just because that was like total crazy. Yeah. Um, so your first marathon was 401, and 
His was 410. Okay. So my yeah. husband and I are a little bit similar, except for he is not nearly as fast as your husband. Because my first marathon was 339, and his was. Oh, my goodness. His was like 350. Um, and now his PR is 249 and mine's 311. So we're like oh the same, except for your husband's like a full, like 45 minutes faster than mine. <laughs> yeah. But you and uh, I have the same PR. That is so funny. Um, and you did a 339 at San Diego. That's like incredible, especially for your first. And I mean, San Diego's kind of a hilly course. So I think I that's thought it was. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. Well, it's funny because, you know, we're talking now, like, you know, now gosh, the running world is just so different than when we I'm started. Sure. Yeah. Like in 2008, I didn't have a Garmin, like social yeah. media wasn't a thing. I didn't have Instagram. Like, I don't know, just like the culture and the it's support probably a good system. Thing. <laughs> it's probably a good thing, but I, like, I didn't know what I was doing. I just knew totally. the night before the race, the guy at the expo was like, Oh, if you ran a 137 half, you could probably qualify for Boston. And so then like race morning, I was like, I guess I'm going to try to qualify for Boston. <laughs> um, cause the standards were like way slower than, um, but what were they then? Do you know? They were 340. It was 340. Okay. So I like awesome. ran wow. 339.52. That's amazing. But you know, <laughs> back, yeah, back then though, they didn't, um, have the cutoffs or anything. So it was like, yeah. it just wasn't as aggressive or hard to get totally. in because there wasn't like, I think I um, qualified for that. And then I think I, um, I didn't sign up for Boston until like January. Like it didn't sell out like it did. It's crazy. I think it was like that until like maybe 2013 yeah. that you could literally register until like December. Or something. Yeah. And now it's just obviously in a whole nother ball game. Okay. So totally. enough about me though. Um, that's hilarious. I don't know if this is the right place to insert it now that we brought your husband into this, but <laughs> tell everybody how you guys met, because I think it's such a fun story. Yeah. So, um, I was, um, I was talking to a friend, she mentioned the Tijuana half marathon and the Mexico races are amazing because they're all like free or like, like $5, like something super nominal. And, um, they give away so much prize money. Um, so it's like, you know, why not just go down there for a fun training run and, and see what happens. And so, um, I, my friend was able to get me um, a registration. And then the week of, I was just like being super analytical and thinking like, well, what is better for my progress right now? You know, would it be doing this race or maybe I should get in a hard workout and like, what's going to keep me like, you know, progressing better. And so I was just really wrestling with whether or not to do it. And then I just had this moment where I was like, like, you need to start saying like, yes to things. Like you need to start like opening yourself up to like new experiences and just being like so focused on your routine, like maybe will rob you of some of those. So, um, like it was just funny because I really just felt like something like telling me like, you have to go and do this. So, um, I went down there for the race and it was like a super long day because you have to, we had to be down, um, by the border at like five for a bus to take us across the border. And, um, so I went down with my friend and, um, I was like, chatting her up majorly like I wonder what time I'll get you know just whatever nonsense and um then I, my husband was in the bus with us like hearing me and just kind of like like who is this girl <laughs> and um then you know we went to do the race the race is very difficult and um it was, I mean it was just so hot it's like on concrete it's very hilly you know it's Mid, it's Jul end of July in Tijuana. So, I mean, it's like not favorable race conditions. 
And like still somehow I came away with um, a new PR that day and I placed in my age group and my husband also got a, like a huge new PR as well. And I mean, I think it's just because we were both so fit that we were bound to PR in, in any race conditions, you know? What did you both uh, run? He ran a 112 wow. um, and I ran a 137. Okay. Um, and I mean, it was a very hot and humid day, very, very hilly. So we were just like totally stoked that we both PR'd and we both, um, won in our age groups, which was like crucial for us to actually meet each other. Yeah. So, um, yeah, we ended up like having to wait in line for our prize money. And, um, our driver came up to me and said, our driver of like the little mini bus that took us over, um, you know, can, can Tyler wait in line with you? Because, um, that way we can get out of here faster to go back across the border. Oh, cause you like, were like okay. in, already in line. So he kind of yeah. like snuck in. My friend okay. and I were the first people in line. And then there's like a line of like, I don't know, like 40 or 50 people because they give prize money to the top three in every oh, wow. age group. Wow. And then like overall and for the marathon. Okay. So, so we all marathon. need to go to Tijuana. Yes. I mean, half marathon, marathon, and they give prize money for the top three in every single age group. I mean, like there's a guy collecting it for like the 70 something age group. I mean, like it's, they give away so much money and they, the Mexican government does it to encourage their citizens to like be active and um, just kind of give back to the community. So it's a really cool um, race, but yeah, so we were waiting in line and standing up. You couldn't sit down. You had to stand up in this hallway and, um, I just was like chatting Tyler up (laughs) and he like was so much fun to talk to. And we just, I mean, we talked about like everything for four hours and I like afterwards I was like, I mean, he's going to ask for my number for sure. (laughs) And we all like gave each other hugs at the end of the day. Cause it was like, I mean, we started at 5 a.m. and we didn't get to our cars until 7 p.m. that night. So it was a very long day. Yeah. And he did not ask for my number at all. Um, and then basically he did friend me on Facebook later. And I was, I had just started blogging at that point. Um, like I'd started my blog just like a couple, like a month or so before that. And so I had blogged about how I was hoping to do the Berlin marathon and I had, um, I think I had just gotten my, um, the lottery. So I was doing it and he was like, Oh, I'll see you in Berlin. (gasps) And I'm thinking like this poor guy does not know that we are going to be dating. <laughs> Cause I just like knew it. I was like, I mean, what is he doing here? Like we're definitely supposed to be together. <laughs> so he was already going to Berlin too. He was going to Berlin and we both live in San Diego and his comment was, I'll see you in Berlin. Like there's like 10 months until Berlin. You could see me before, you know? So, did did um, you see him before? Or did you not see him till Berlin? No, he finally asked me out. So. Oh, okay. Is he, now, did he live in San Diego too? <laughs> yes. So we both lived in the area. I'm like, you can just make this happen. Do you ever like think about before Facebook and stuff? Like, how, would you guys oh, have goodness. connected again? Would you, or maybe you would have like randomly seen him at the expo in Berlin? I mean, it's like, I mean, my husband and I met. I think we we had been dating like a year once Facebook like became a thing. So Wow, that was a long time ago then. Yeah, it was a long time ago. We were in college, but it's just crazy to think how many people have you meet, you know, you meet somewhere once and then you end up connecting through social media. Like the person looks totally. you up on Instagram or something. So, it's like crazy to think how different meeting people is now, even though you met in person. Totally. And I think like he, we both had such a good like interaction that first time. That's why I was so sure he was going to ask me out. But in his mind, he 
wanted to like, it was important for him to know about my faith and different things like that. And so he just didn't know all those answers up front. So he was just like, I'm not asking around until I know hundred percent, like on different things. And so just getting to like interact with me through like, um, through social media, or then we started texting. He was able to kind of get the you know, some of the info he needed to ask me out essentially. Oh my gosh. Okay. So are you guys the same age? Oh no, he's younger than me. Um, he just turned 32 on Monday. Okay. So a couple years. And what does he do? He is in residential real estate. So oh. I work in commercial and he works in residential. Oh, so we got all the, all the, uh, real estate people. I know it's so funny. And he actually, um, works with my mom. So I work with my dad, oh, that's and my, dad's my partner, and he works with my mom. So it's, it's pretty cool because, um, he just, gets along incredibly with my family. He wasn't working with your mom before though, was he? Oh, for sure. No, no. Oh, okay. I'm like, that's he just started so um, a year ago. Okay. So uh, after we got married. Okay. I, I have to ask one more question about him and then we're going to go sure. back to your running, but like, how does one, and I saw that he's self-coached too. Like how yes. does, I mean, 218 is fast enough that like you have to have some God given talent, but also like clearly he's worked insanely hard if, cause you know, like I, I picture a 218 marathoner. If you're someone that's that fast at marathoning, I would assume that if you ran your first marathon untrained, you'd run like 310 or, you know what totally. I mean? Like not yeah. 4, 410. So what's his like nutshell yeah. story? So, and so he does come from like some he does come from a lot of natural talent. His dad's first marathon was, um, two Oh, wow. Yeah. His dad, I mean, just is such a natural athlete and has done like all different, you know, hundred mile races, Kona, everything. Oh, wow. So, um, you know, Tyler didn't show that same type of natural off the bat talent. Um, but what, what he does have is just a methodical and like super analytical approach to everything. And he's so disciplined. So like his dad actually never ran um, a marathon faster than that first one. Oh, wow. Um, because, you know, he's a natural talent, but he didn't have the same type of like methodical workhorse, like mentality that Tyler has. So while Tyler didn't show that, um, you know, that speed right off the bat, he's worked to like hone it. So, um, you know, and I think that that's going to carry you a lot further than any type of natural talent. And, you know, he didn't run in high school or college, so he picked it up a little bit later and he's had some good, you know, some good input over the years that have helped shape his journey. Um, he only like just found out about high mileage, you know, maybe like six years ago or something like that. And so just started doing it then, you know, and just started being more um, consistent with workouts. And so, you know, you see a lot of change when you just stay consistent and, you know, have a, a solid approach to training. Yeah, for sure. So is he still knocking down at that 218? Like, or is he? Oh, still- for sure. Yeah. I think he can go, I mean, he can go so much further. You know, I really believe that. Um, wow. Like I just, you know, I think that your mind is your biggest limiter. And, um, we had watched a really cool documentary. Um, it's Bob Larson story. City slickers can't um, stay with me. And have you seen it? No, it's really good. It's, I think you can get it on, um, like Amazon prime or something like that. But, um, it's a really good, it's, it's a really good, um, look at Bob Larson's career, you know, coaching at UCLA coaching Meb, um, and he actually coached the Hamul Toads, which is like the community right across um, the mountains from our house. 
And um, like, so when Tyler and I do long runs, we run into Hamul. And so he, he coached this team and all of the guys on the team were giving different interviews for, um, for the documentary. And so it would just say their name and their marathon PR under it. And these were like all guys you've never heard of. And mm. it was like 210, 211, 209, you know? And it's like, you've never heard of these people and they're running these crazy times and they're all on, on this one team that's, you know, the, the community over from our house. And so I just like told Tyler afterwards, there's nothing special in the whole water. Like if you want a 210, go get it. You know, like you can do it too. Like there's nothing, like it's just like, like believing it and having the right training and like if Bob Larson was able to take all these people in this small community and make them into these, like, I mean, 210 is like a, uh, like a world-class yeah. type of, yeah. you know, time. And so if he's able to take these guys you've never heard of and make them all into these really great runners, like there's nothing special in the water. Like you can build yourself into that athlete too. Wow. That's really powerful. Yeah. That's we, I mean, we were just so inspired seeing that and, you know, he's seen his running it with different caps throughout you know, throughout his journey. And I think that that's really opened his mind up to his potential because I mean, he could have said so long ago, like, Oh, I think two fifty is my cap or wow. Mm-hmm. two thirty six, I had a breakthrough. I probably can't get much more than that, you know, or two twenty six. you know, he's had all these breakthroughs. And, um, I think you just can't expect that your breakthrough is your last one. You know, like you really have to believe that there's still more out there. Like if you already got that far, why not further? That's so good. Cause I always say, Oh, once I break three hours, like I'm good. Like that's really like my dream. Like, and then I'm fine. I don't need to do more, but I, there's like something in us, like a human nature thing that says, but what, what next? Because I always think of that, about that with my friend, Laura Anderson. Cause when she broke three hours, then she did it again. I'm like, but she broke three hours. Isn't she happy? And then she was going for two fifty in Boston. And (laughs) it's like, Oh, there's always probably a little bit more. So, okay, share with us that mentality and your journey, because we talked about that 608, that 401, and now you've taken it down to 311. So what does that look like for you now? And and what have you changed to kind of switch over to a faster running? Sure. So I, like when I met Tyler, I was actually having amazing running. I was like, everything I touched was a PR, which is like the best seasons to be in, you know? Yeah. And then soon after that, you know, I just, I'm, I was such a new runner. I really had no idea what I was doing. And, um, I just thought, you know, if I want faster, I have to keep doing more, you know, and just, so I basically drove myself into the ground. I was doing 80 mile weeks leading up to Boston marathon in 2015. And I had no idea what I was doing, you know? So, um, I didn't know I was like overtrained until after the fact, like after the race, after I totally, um, ha- you know, had a really tough day out there. So, um, after, you know, in, in the rear view, I was able to see I was doing too much, but I still didn't really find the right balance. And, um, I had two more really hard marathons after that Berlin marathon, um, that fall and then Tokyo the next spring. And, I mean, they all, like I did 347 at Boston, then I did 339 at Berlin and 338 at, um, at Tokyo. And this was all after I had already run a 328 and a 330. So Mm. I was just like not running to my potential, but working extremely hard to run like regression races, you know? And, um, I mean, it really, my, my, my body took a toll 
um, it took a physical toll on me, but it also took like a huge toll on me emotionally. Um, and I was just like running like, like just with like such, um, just like a cloud over me, you know, and it was, it was not happy running. I was running to try to like, like revenge running essentially. Mm -hmm. And, um, I had to just completely change my approach after Tokyo. I, and what year uh, was that? That was 2016, um, like February. Okay. So not that long ago. No, it definitely wasn't. And I, I mean, I changed everything. I, I walked away from the marathon for almost two years. I like just had to rebuild confidence. Um, I started training with people. I just started, I just completely changed my mentality. You know, before I would have a bad race and just like be so ashamed and just think that it reflected on me and just would doubt all of my like future goals and just think like, there's no way you could do this if you you're running, you know, 338 in Tokyo, you know, like, and I just, I didn't like know how to have like Teflon confidence back then, you know, and just that having the right mentality can actually help you to recover from bad races better, you know? So instead of mentally, um, you know, rebounding, I was like in a really tough place mentally and emotionally. And so it's hard for things to come around physically if you're still like emotionally in a really tough spot. Yeah. Okay. So all the while you're, cause you got married, what, five years ago? Um, no, I got married in end of 2016. Okay. You, you met Tyler five years ago. Yes, exactly. Okay. So all the while when this is going on, you're with him and what's, is, is he like, he's having breakthrough running. Okay. Okay. And that's always hard too. Like you're like, what am I doing wrong? And what are you doing right? Yeah. He could not have a bad race. (laughs) How is this, how is this working out in your relationship at the time then? And like, is he, is he, is he the one that motivated you to like take some time off the marathon? What did that look like? Yeah. So, I mean, he was so supportive throughout the whole thing. And I was also like a hundred percent supportive for him. Like I, I really didn't have any bitterness or jealousy that like, here I am like flailing in marathon land. And he is like this success story, you know, like he's the MVP of his, um, racing team here in San Diego. I mean, everybody's just like shocked by how quickly he's progressing in the marathon, you know, like lopping 10 minutes off here and there, you know, so. which is a lot when you run that fast. Yes, I know. And so, and then here I am like running 10 to 30 minutes off of my PR at that point. So it was, I mean, it was definitely tough. And, um, and I think it was, it was helpful for him to learn how to support me and also for him to see like firsthand, like how to like help somebody through something like this. Cause he, he coaches people too. And so he, he's only seen success in running. So he knows how to respond in coaching and training to great success, obviously, but having to see what it looks like to coach somebody back from overtraining and just being really emotionally beat down, um, was probably really helpful for him. Just like learning how to be uber conservative, build up your confidence back. You know, it's just a whole system that you have to put in place to come back from really tough races. So then what was the decision to say, I'm not going to do marathons for a little while while I figure this out? Well, I, so after Tokyo, I initially said I am not doing another marathon like for a while. And then the next morning I was like, I'm going to sign up for mountains to beach because I know I have better in me. (laughs) And that's like a race that'd be like two to three months after that. And Tyler's like, absolutely not. We've already said you're not, you have to stop. Like you cannot 
you cannot do another race. Like you have to, you know, like you can't keep getting knocked out and just keep, you know, like you have to take some time to like, you know, like rebuild your confidence. Um, because also like marathons are so mental. So like if I would just keep going back to it, so mentally beat up, I just wouldn't have the confidence to like get the most out of myself in that race. So, um, you know, yeah, I decided to take, I think I took 22 months off. I focused on other distances. I, I just like totally recalibrated everything and just my approach completely changed. My confidence changed and it really has to, like, you can't, marathons are so tough. They're so tough mentally that if you don't have confidence going into it, I mean, that's like a, like a ship with a hole in it, Yeah, <laughs> you know? So, um, yeah, coming, taking that time off was like crucial from, um, like a physical standpoint, you know, marathons are really tough on your adrenals. Um, and also rebuilding things and getting the speed that I needed was also really important. You know, like marathon is like everything to the Insta runner and oh, totally. it, it's, it's a disservice to the other distances that build you into the runner that you want to be as a marathon runner. So if you just ignore the five K's, the 10 K's, the halves to just do marathons all the time, then you're it's really hard to build the speed you want during marathon training. It's a lot easier to build the speed and then transition into marathon training. Yes, that's so good. That's so good. And you're so right because like you were referring to Instagram, right? Like the yes. Instagram runner, like everybody, the marathon is glamorous. Like, yes. you know, like I just posted these pictures from Boston. Obviously I'm excited about running Boston, but like people are just really excited when you run a marathon. Now, if I would have just run some random 5k, people would have been excited, but they wouldn't have been like going crazy, like Boston, you know? So yeah, I mean, and you can't just like, you can't just like run a fast marathon without honing in on those other skills. Totally. So when did you run your 311? So I ran it in December of 2017. Okay. Um, yeah. At CIM, yeah, such a great. Do you love that race. course? I do. It's a really good course, and I mean, it's people think it's just super um, like flat and downhill, but it's has like rollers like all throughout until probably mile twenty. So you have to, if you're going to do the race, you have to be prepared to like go up and down and up and down. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, that's the thing about a net downhill. It's like you, we could talk about this all day with Boston, but it's like, sure, it's like such a fun, tricky course because it's like, there's so much downhill and cardio wise. You're like, this is great. But like, yes. it just Until does something hills. different to your body. Your quads are like, what just happened? Exactly. It's yeah. It's, you just have to be prepared for the courses you're going to run because, um, if you just go into it with the mentality that you're not going to have to do some like climbs here and there, then you're going to be freaking out during the race. Like what are all these hills? Yeah. So what's okay. So that was 2017. So what's been going on since then? And what are your current goals? So, um, I had a really good year last year. Um, for the most part, um, I, you know, was getting really, really fit and it was so exciting. And, um, I was training with Tyler's team as well. It's, um, Prada racing team. So it was awesome just to get to chase around some really fast girls. And, um, you know, I was seeing just so much progress so quickly. And then, um, I got sick in September, like two days before Lululemon half the CB's half. Okay. And, um, and I basically just didn't really recover, um, the whole season, which was really, really tough because 
I was just on and off sick. Like every other day I would have a sore throat again and have swollen lymph nodes. And just, it was really hard to get healthy while marathon training. Mm, Totally. And, um, you know, so, and then I'm doing races during this. I would, I would like modify as I could. So like if I had a long run, but I just like really wasn't feeling well, I'd be like, I'm going to push it off one day, really rest on a couch all day and just try to feel better. And then I would do the, you know, 20 miler with like, you know, five mile, four mile, three mile, two mile, one mile pushes in it, you know, like just a crazy big workout. And then it was kind of set me back again, you know? Mm -hmm. So I would, I would, um, I didn't, I didn't take like maybe a week or two down and not do anything, which I probably should have. And maybe that would have salvaged the season. So I was kind of limping along the whole time, but it was just really tough. I was, I just felt like I was in a tough position, you know, um, because I was still able to execute for my, my workouts for the most part, but I was like muscling through them because I, my immune system was just like not on deck. And, um, then like things really started to fall apart towards the end. And I, I mean, I think in the last like three or four weeks, I did only one workout to try to let my body heal. And, um, and I took multiple days of running off. Like, I think I took maybe like maybe eight days off at one time or something like that. Like I really was doing almost no running before CIM and no workouts just to try to give my body some more space to heal. But it was a little bit too late at that point. And I really struggled with whether or not to still run the race. Um, it was a really, really tough call. And I just didn't know what to do because I still was, I still was executing for the most part um, up until that point. You know, I had done like three half marathons and I still executed what I needed to do. So I thought, you know, like you might be able to like muscle through this and you've worked so hard all year. You just want to see those gains realized. And my family was coming up and my husband's family was coming up. So it was just a lot going on. And I ultimately did decide to run it. Um, And my husband had been going through a tough time at the same time too. His foot was just um, like he was dealing with some major foot issues. And so, you know, we went out um, to run that day. We both like, didn't feel like we were like, things were super in our favor going into the race. And um, for me, like I could tell that it wasn't really going to be a great day for me at like mile four, which makes it just a really long day. And um, then um, I think it was mile 14, maybe that um, I saw Tyler and that was like, heartbreaking for me. He was on the side of the road, just cheering for me. And I was just so sad. You know, I just was like, no, babe, you know, cause I meant he dropped oh, out, yeah, he you dropped. know, and I, he, and he's never dropped out of a race before. And I mean, we only do like one marathon a year, if that, and so yeah. this is like a big deal, you know? And I mean, if he dropped out, it was like for a, like, you know, because it was not good. So he tried to run alongside me for, you know, a couple miles. And I was, I mean, completely dead at this point. And he had to stop. I mean, he couldn't even really walk anymore. So, um, so yeah, it was a really tough day for both of us. I came in at three nineteen. I oh wow, that's still really um, fast. Yeah, it it was like twenty minutes off my goal at right. that point. But yeah. um, but uh, I yeah, my family was just so wonderful on the course that I was like, I can't walk off. Like yeah, you know, I had said I would because I didn't want to put my body through more than it needed to since it was already kind of in a compromised state, but. I just felt like it's okay. Just finish this off and then we'll, we'll get rest afterwards. So, um, yeah, so I, I finished it and I was, you know, really, really proud that I stuck in it. And I was really happy that I like handled this disappointment well, because I've been like 
completely decimated by that type of disappointment in the past. Yeah. And I just didn't feel like all hope was lost after this one. I felt like it was a tough day, but it's okay. I mean, to go 319, I know it's 10 minutes. That's a lot, 10 minutes off your yeah. goal. But like to go 319 on a day where it just like really wasn't your day is, I mean, that's a lot. That's saying something. It's like, get, totally. you know, it's like showing you, ooh, what the potential really is. Definitely. It was, yeah, it was just such a tough day, but it was, you know, I know that if my, when my body is healthy, I will be able to do, you know, I will be able to run to my fitness, you know, and run to my potential. So, um, you know, the good thing is that after a couple different marathon seasons, you have the right perspective to be able to handle losses better. You know, in the beginning, you know, when I first started running and only had success, I just, I had no like baseline to process the losses and I was just like bottoming out when I had a loss. And now I'm like, well, that was a bad day. But I mean, that doesn't say anything about your future potential. Yeah, it sounds like the um, it sounds like the mental gain here is like, you know, more than any of the physical gains, the mental gain here is what's most important. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, and you just you do learn so much um, and, and you, you gain so much from having to push and stay mentally engaged and positive on a really hard day. Like that, that serves you well. That's, that's, you know, I got three hours and 19 minutes of practice on keeping my mind positive, you know, and that's like practice that'll serve me well when I'm like within reach of my goal, you know, and feeling tired and fatigued, you know? So then, then I will be like, there's glory in that push, you know, cause I know that I'm like close to my goal and I'm already like in a mentally um, like strong state. Yeah, that's so good. Do you work with a coach or does your husband coach you? What does that look like? Yeah, so I actually work with um, Ryan Vale. Okay. And um, who's super fast and amazing. Yeah, I know the name. Yes, he's like one of our top American elites. Okay. And he's wonderful. Um, How'd you pick to work with him? I, um, I chatted with him on Instagram and we, um, we decided that we would be a fit and I had seen his um, like he, ha- he blogs about his training and is one of the more open elites about what his workouts look like and how training is going. So I, I just really, um, meshed with him for that. And, um, his personality is similar to Tyler's. They're both like very chill and even keeled and not emotional, like, and just encouraging, you know? So like anytime I'm down on myself about a workout, He's always like, actually, this is like way better than I expected you to do. So <laughs> I don't need a coach to be like, you missed pace because I'm already my toughest critic and I just need somebody there to just be like, to help me keep it together, you know? Yeah. Does he coach your, um, Tyler as well? No, Tyler's still self-coached. Okay. Gosh, that's so cool. Yeah. Um, do you guys do your long runs together and wh- how does that work? Because obviously like if he's training for a marathon, he's got to like run some of those long runs faster. Totally. So he was amazing for me this last um, year because he would like do his workouts beforehand. And then the next day he would sometimes help pace me for my workouts. Okay. So for my long runs. So, and my long runs were like very beefy um, by the end. So it was super nice. He like, he's so supportive of me and he shows that support by literally being out there and like running the pace I need to run. And, you know, like it's, he, now that I'm getting faster, it's a little bit harder for him to do it on his easy days. Yeah, like because I'm like, after yeah, he's like, oh, I'm hurting. Like my workout yesterday was bad. And I'm like having him do these 
crazy workouts um, that don't feel as easy anymore. <laughs> oh, but. man. I was just looking at your um, – I just opened up your website before the interview, and I was going to ask you this question, and then I saw that you blocked because I was going to say your Instagram posts are so long. Yes. And, and I was like, do you ever think about picking up blogging because – I'm starting to think about writing on my blog again because it's like you can only have so many words on Instagram and like you like I was trying to do my Boston recap and I was like I, can't, I literally can't fit this in on Instagram totally and then I saw that you did one post for the first time in like two years I, I know recently and I know it's I so I I started um, a blog like right around the time I met Tyler yeah and the only reason I even I did not want an Instagram I didn't have an Instagram at that point and everyone was like well you need an Instagram to be like synergistic with your blog so when was so, this like, like 2014 or something exactly yeah so I was like fine and I didn't really post that often on Instagram then I was just I and I blogged like I don't know almost every day at that point it felt like a lot and okay. I'm like full blogs you know it's it's a lot of work <laughs> I don't know how bloggers do it, but so I did it. I probably kept my blog up consistently for like a year or two. Um, and then ultimately like Instagram kind of took over and I focused more on that and it's just hard to do it all, you know? Oh, totally. Yeah. So, but how do you, like, when did you go from like, I have an Instagram account to like, I have 60,000 followers on Instagram. Um, it's like a, you know, it's just like a, it happens over time. You know, it, 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 um, just built up slowly. I mean, it doesn't, you know, obviously it doesn't start at that, but yeah, it, it's just built up slowly. Um, and then it's like, you have a message. So I guess my question is like, what do you want when people come to the community where that you're providing over on your page? Like, what do you want people to leave with feeling? Um, I definitely want them to leave feeling empowered. Um, I just, I feel like I was so blessed growing up. My mom just really instilled like positive thinking and faith into me. And that's just totally shaped my whole life. And, um, you know, most, like a lot of people didn't have that type of upbringing where they were just like told you can do anything you want to do. Like, and it's just like using faith to bridge the gap from where you are to where you want to be. And, um, so like, I just feel like that way of thinking has shaped my whole life. It's, it's impacted everything and helped me to accomplish things that were just once a dream. And so if I can encourage somebody and make them to realize that things that they want or dream that seem so far out of reach, that they can attain it, then that makes me so happy. Um, okay. So you're going to start blogging more. Yes. Are you going to do it? <laughs> I will. I will. Okay. We'll have like... Yeah, we'll both be blogging. <laughs> I mean, I kind of want to, but then every time I start typing, I'm like, man, this is really time consuming. And do totally. I do I want to make the time for this? I don't know. I know. I need to just say like every month you do four blog posts, that's, you know, like a, yeah, a week recap. Yes. Yeah. We're not because... like Janae Barron over here. We're not trying to do a post every single day, like Hungry Runner. Oh, I know. Girl. I have no idea how she does it. I'm like, how do you come up with things to even say about your day. It's just like but, her way of life now. It's just like, that's life. It's crazy. And I've been reading her for seven years. Oh my gosh. Really? Yes. I, I love Janae. I, I found, cause when I started running, um, like blogging was a thing. Like, yeah, and, totally. the, and so I read all the big blogs back then. Uh -huh. and that's how I learned anything I knew at that point, you know? And so it's funny because things have totally changed and I don't feel like blogs are as big. And a lot of the bloggers I follow actually don't blog anymore. Yeah, they just Instagram. For 
Yeah, yeah exactly. And so, and now Instagram um, kind of, it's just an easier platform to use because you're already using it. Yeah. And so it's micro blogging at its best. But yeah, I've, I followed Janae for seven years and I love her. She's wonderful. Yeah. You know, I have heard, I heard it once and now I'm spreading the rumor that I, that it's like happening. <laughs> um, but I have heard that like blogging is kind of coming back. Like it did kind of fizzle out for a while and I heard that it's coming back. So uh, people like Janae who just like never let it go are the smart ones apparently. Totally. Well, and she has like, if you have a blog, you have your own platform. Like honestly, yeah. Yeah. Instagram could be gone tomorrow yes. and you have nothing like you, it's not your platform. It's you don't own it. And just like, I mean, it's, it's a little bit crazy because your account could be hacked. Like you're like, they could just take away your account or like I had like somebody that grew an account to like 7,000 using my photo and like oh my gosh. people that it was me. And so like, there's just like weird stuff that happens like that on Instagram. Whereas with a blog, it's your own, you control it, you know? So it's, there's like definitely value in having like your own message that you control versus like being on somebody else's platform. Um, that's really creepy. How did you stop that? Did you contact Instagram? Um, I contacted them multiple times and I, a lot of my very, very kind followers contacted Instagram and it took many, many months for them to remove this account. That's so and, creepy. And, and in the end, they didn't actually even tell me about it. They told like multiple um, people reached out to me and said, Hey, I just received this message from Instagram because I had reported them and they told me that they shut down the account finally. So yeah, I mean, it's like weird stuff like that. Do you ever get creeped out? Like, you know, people say to me sometimes like, do you ever think about how much you're like sharing on your social media? Like people can find out where you live. And I'm like, well, I mean, I feel like you can find out where anybody lives basically. <laughs> like totally. if you really want to do the work, you can really figure this out. I agree. Um, I mean, but do you ever get creeped out? Um, for the most part? No, I, I mean, I also don't, I mean, I do share personal things, but a lot of it's more running centric, yeah, but yeah. And then even just with the health stuff I've been going through lately, I've decided to keep that more private because I'm just like, it's just kind of weird thinking that everybody could know all of these details. Yeah. So and some of it doesn't seem necessary to disclose. Totally. Isn't it like there's some fine line between like yeah. how much is oversharing, but like, you know, if you really want people to get to know you, like you want to share enough and it's, exactly. Yeah. It's a really tough balance, but it's like that stuff lives on forever on the internet. Yes. And so, and then it just, you know, yeah, I, some things are better left unsaid. <laughs> if you have a really next, I'm going to do the same thing next, next really good Instagram, like, text you have though like a good story that you write put yes. it on your blog too so then you own it yes. on your blog instead of just Instagram and then it could go away I know I really should just start transferring my 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 post from Instagram a onto log. a blog so I don't like if if Instagram is gone tomorrow I don't have any of that text right like save somewhere <laughs> in word or something exactly I need to I need to have a system but I don't know life is just so crazy you're balancing so many things that you think like I should do this but you just Wait, you don't don't I do know. it I know um all right well Kim is coming to Indy for the mini marathon the 500 festival mini in just a couple weeks I'm so excited you Janae Charlie and I are gonna hang out and oh my gosh are you like geared up to run fast or are you just gonna chill Oh no, I'm definitely going to chill. Okay. I'm like in a chill season of my life. So okay. I am just so excited to take it in though. Like I feel like the, um, the part about the Indy 500 it's and cool. running on the racetrack is going to be 
my favorite part. I want to take pictures there. Oh, it's, it's really cool. I mean, like I grew up in Indy and, um, well in, in Indiana and have lived in Indianapolis for a long time, but I mean, the Indy 500 track is like a pretty iconic place to be able to run. Like you don't, there's not many times of the year when people can just like go get on the track. I know it's like such a bucket list thing, like just way too cool. So I'll feel like, um, Elliot Kipchoge and breaking two when he was on the track, yeah. just running in Monza, yeah. <laughs> except I, breaking two hours and a half. So <laughs> yeah, well, I'm going to be taking lots of pictures because um, I don't know, like if I could even hobble like faster than a nine minute mile for 13 oh miles gosh. after running Boston three weeks later. I'm sure. You are a champ for even going and doing, we'll just have a fun run and take lots of pictures. Totally. Um, all right, Kim. Well, thanks for sharing your story. You're so inspiring. I loved hearing, I, I think that my favorite part in the message that a lot of people are probably going to take is you can't always just focus on the marathon. Like that's so yeah. key and like what you did worked, you know, it's, it's crazy how much like the, the shorter stuff actually helps you in the long run, but most people don't have the patience to back off for a bit. So true. Okay. Oh my gosh. We didn't do our end of the podcast questions. Okay. Let's do it. Oh my gosh. Ah. Um, <laughs> all right. What is an accomplishment you're most proud of? An accomplishment I'm most proud of. I would say that one of them would be actually finishing CIM this last year because it would be so easy to um, let the negativity overwhelm me to have me just walk off the course because it wasn't my day. But I think that finishing tough marathons toughens you up. Oh, that's good for sure. Um, (laughs) What's the best, most recent book you've read? The best, most recent book I would say is How Bad Do You Want It? Oh, yeah, it's a good one. Yeah, it really was a good eye-opener about the mental game. I just didn't know that you had to have any mental game for running, so that was new. <laughs> yeah, I'd say that's probably one of my favorite books as far as like talking about the mental side of training and all his analogies are so good. Matt Fitzgerald, and he just came out with a new book, uh, Life is a Marathon. Oh, I need to read it. Yeah, I haven't read it yet. I have it, but I haven't read it yet. If you could have coffee or cocktail with someone fun, inspiring, or motivating, who would it be? Um, do they have to be alive? No. Um, it would be Mother Teresa. Mm. Um, I just like loved her growing up. I like dressed up as her for a book report in sixth grade. Oh my <laughs> um, but, but she just inspired me so much. Just um, her compassion for people and just selflessness was always like a huge inspiration to me and really was um, like a motivator for me to get into a field where I could help people. Are you Catholic? I'm not. I'm Christian, but okay. um, same thing. Just yeah, I was just curious because you had mentioned your uh, husband with the faith thing as well, so I was just curious. Totally. Um, wh- what is one message you'd like to send to the world? Um, that faith changes your life. So believing in yourself and believing that you can accomplish what you dream of is totally possible. Perfect way to end. Thank you so much, Kim. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me on. It's such a privilege. Okay. I will see you in just a couple weeks here in Indy. So excited. We're going to have fun. Okay. Thanks. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening today. Thank you, Kim, for sharing your story and coming on the show. You guys can follow Kim on social media, on Instagram. She is track club babe, and she is bringing that blog back just like I am apparently going to try to do as well. 
You can find me on social media. I'm Lindsay Hine 626 on Instagram, Lindsay Hine on Twitter, and I'll have another podcast with Lindsay Hine on Facebook where we have a group as well. Check out FabFitFun, guys. Go to FabFitFun.com and use the code ANOTHER to save $10 off your first box. And make sure you register for the One America 500 Festival Mini Marathon and come run with me. Use the code ANOTHER19 to save $7 off your entry fee. No fear, you guys. I've got some post-Boston Marathon episodes coming up with Scott Fobble. And hopefully Jordan Hesse. We're working on a time to do that interview. But yeah, we've got some post-Boston stuff coming up that I'm really excited about. Both have been on the show before, but I can't wait to catch up with them and just hear a little bit more about their race. And I know you guys are going to enjoy that too. I'm sure that everybody else wants to hear from them. So I'm working hard to capture those interviews and hopefully get those out to you. Uh, Scott's probably next week. Jordan's probably the week after that. All right, you guys have a great Friday. Have a wonderful rest of your weekend. And as always, I'll see you next Friday.